Welcome to season two of The Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. Two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs. In this show, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. And welcome back to the Unforgiving 60 podcast. I'm Tim Curtis with my co-host, Ben Pronk. Hello, Tim. This is RV24, the final RV of season two. Final episode of season two. Absolutely. RV or otherwise. 24. <laughs> yep. Are we confident in those figures? Mm, 90%. That's good. I'll take those stats. Um, so what's that? An RV a month over two years? Yeah, that's right. It's pretty yeah, cool. Because we rolled the numbers on, so... Yeah. I don't know if we did 12 in season one. I think we've probably done more in season two, more reflection in season two. Are we still using these as fillers when we can't get a proper guest? <laughs> no, <laughs> these are reflections on guests. Oh, that's right. And today we're going to reflect on Hawks asking us questions, turning the microphone back on us. Champion. And Harry Moffat, 11 Bats, the new book. Then some listener questions, and we also suggested some books for holiday reading, and we've had some listeners suggest some additional reading for those that have got through their holiday stack of books on the bedside table. There's some, well, I was going to say there's some crackers in there. <laughs> you would not know. Full disclosure, I've not read any of the books that our listeners are saying are, are, are classics, so Even I've worse, got some reading to do. Even worse, I have not heard of most of the books that have been suggested. <laughs> it is cool, though, that a lot of our listeners assume that we're quite well read. Yeah, I have to go straight to Blinkist and try and work out what's so the gonna, substance of some of these books. Clearly a very smart listenership, and we're going to share some of those titles with you shortly. It's RV24. Let's get on with the show. Hawks. H-Hour with Hawks. Simon Hawken, the one, the only. And we've been trying to do this episode for a while mm. uh, where he turned the microphone back on us. Actually, some interesting feedback. I don't know if we've really told our personal, personal stories from growing up to families to fathers to early stages in our career. And I don't know if we, we might have just made ourselves vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> um. I enjoyed that chat for those who came in late. Hawks, for both of us, um, was a, a pretty influential character. Mm-hmm. We both served in 2RAR or 24RAR, where um, Hawks was a, an absolute legend there. And for me in particular, he was my second platoon sergeant um, when I went to Recon Sniper Platoon and an amazing mentor. Uh, you know, you look at how sergeant lieutenant relationships are supposed to work. In its, in its purest and best form, and that was the kind of um, sergeant that, that Hawks was. Uh, completely supportive, um, very much viewed his role as, as developing me and, and saving me from myself, uh, and I owe him an enormous debt of gratitude in terms of my professional development during that period. You can, you can tell that by the fact he still calls you Mr. Pronk. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhat condescendingly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, But you can tell for those that haven't even met Simon just in his tone of voice that he's a no-nonsense customer. And that's precisely what you want as a mm. leader where your deputy is far more experienced than you, has the respect of the patrol, the platoon, the team, the organisation, and being able to take that feedback's really important. 
Yeah, and we're going to talk, we've got some great listener questions um, over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to talk about sort of depth and breadth and, and all that sort of stuff. But what you don't have as a young lieutenant is any depth of experience, mm. um, and that links heavily to credibility. And you are ripe for stuffing up and embarrassing yourself and robbing any credibility that you might have. And, and a mentor, a, a platoon sergeant, an old hand of that nature is, is a really important role in terms of uh, helping you to to develop your, your feet and, and not um, make a complete fool of yourself uh, in the meantime. Stuffing up's a fantastic platform for learning. You hope, though, that your platoon sergeant for our time in uniform captured you a little bit before you stuffed yeah. up, before you made that decision or said that silly thing. But even afterwards, I think as long as you're able to take that input, realise that it's constructive, if indeed it is, and then adjust behaviours and attributes and traits mm. to improve the quality of your decision-making as you go forward. That's what experience is all about, right? No, it's very cool. And great to catch up with Hawks. Really good. I enjoyed that chat. You know, obviously talking about my favourite topic, <laughs> myself. <Yes. laughs> oh, yeah. What's not to enjoy about that? Um, but no, I enjoyed catching up with Hawks and... and it's a pretty good little podcaster all, all time. Yes, double episode um, with Hawks, uh, part A. We talk a little bit about our fathers and time in uniform up to the point where we did SAS selection and then part B starts from when we did SAS selection and life beyond. Hmm. And the cool, really cool thing about being on a podcast with Simon Hawken, HR with Hawks podcast, is the merge. We... Got it just this morning, actually, mm-hmm. um, due to a whole bunch of different reasons and office refits and stuff. But we we finally got our merch, and very thankful. Do we we don't do that, do we? We don't do we ha- we don't actually even have any merch, let alone send it out to our guests. Mate, we're lucky to have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if yeah. you could be sacked from podcasting, if that was a thing, yeah, we we might be. Out on the street, <laughs> cap in hand. Yeah, well, but don't, don't talk to us. <laughs> we need to have a chat after this two years. You're out of here. No, it's been good fun, and that was an excellent episode. I really enjoyed speaking with Hawks on that. Yep, and thanks to, ha- thanks to Hawks, HR with Hawks podcast. Mm. And so from Hawks, uh, who was a, a sort of very influential character in our infantry careers, to, to Harry Moffat, who was a, a very influential character in uh, the, the SAS regiment. And on the back, really, I guess the catalyst for the, the chat was the release of his book, Eleven Bats. Well, always good to chat with Moff because he's got this beautiful contrasting view of life in uniform and the struggles and the value and the rewards and life out of uniform where he's a registered psychologist. And, mm. um, yep, he's written a book, 11 Bats, which is the story of 11 cricket bats on 11 different operational tours. And the cricket and the operational tours and the stories are interwoven. Some unbelievable discussion, really, where uh, he was a first responder as part of a... Um, vehicle-borne improvised explosive device, if I'm not mistaken, might have just been a suicide bomber on a market, and Mm. uh, he was involved in the triage and treatment of people on one of his earlier tours in Afghanistan. And then, you know, lightning striking twice was the driver of of a vehicle that also hit an improvised explosive device 
um, killing signaller Sean McCarthy, and he talks about both of those incidents and his learnings from them. Yeah. No, and Moff is a, an amazing guy, a, a real iconoclast. I mean, we've spoken to him previously as part of our episode with the externals. So um, in addition to being a, a very fine Australian soldier, he's also a very fine musician and was was doing all sorts of cool frontman rock stuff mm. um, at, at the same time as, as soldiering in the, the regiment. So, you know, that's an amazing chunk. And then um, in... My last job in the the unit, um, he was driving some really incredible things in the the human performance space, uh, educational um, relationships with tertiary institutions, University of Western Australia, um, and really challenging the way uh, that things had been done. And it was very annoying (laughs) as a commanding officer, having someone Mm -hmm. like Moff, but exactly the right kind of annoying because um, he he really shone a light to, to things that... We, we were maybe a bit complacent on, could do better, um, always coming up with, with new ideas and, and ways of, of challenging the, the status quo in a positive way. Well, I suspect he was annoying because he was two things. He was smart and he was passionate about those high-performance yeah. um, component in the unit and also Wanderers education program. And three things, he was right about most of the stuff that he was saying. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I was, I was too lazy or busy or, or whatever um, to, to sort of get it first time. But um, that, that passion, um, and, and it really was a, an altruistic sort of passion. He, he wanted to make things better. He wanted to, to leave the unit a better place than, than he found it. And in many ways, I, I reckon he's achieved exactly that. He talks about three things. Thing one, your family the bedrock on which you do everything else, family and friends. Thing two, your professional life. And thing three, your creative outlet Mm. and the importance of that doing something for yourself. And he says it's not selfish, it's necessary to have this outlet, whether it's cricket in the case of Moff or, um, you know, writing songs or playing in the band The Externals or in your case, Ben, your art, Mm. that that is an incredibly important balance to get somewhere into your life don't neglect yourself and the other point he makes as a registered psychologist is you should not feel bad about carving out time for you and your third thing yeah no i think that's some really sage advice and and as you say it comes from a position of experience and also a a position of academic knowledge um through his, his psych study so yeah fascinating guy been watching the um, feedback on his book, 11 Bats. Uh, I and you have read it. It's a ripping yarn. And I said to Moff on the interview that it forces you to reflect deeply in places. Um, it's rollicking, you know. It's a, mm. it's a great story. And he um, brings those two things together, his cricket bats and, and stories from his operational tour in such a way that makes it beautiful it's entirely readable but it forces you to pause at certain points in the book and think deeply about life and your journey in it and what's important to you yeah and look he is he's a fantastic storyteller fantastic raconteur and um you know we encourage as we do every week people to to jump onto some of the externals back catalog on spotify um because there's some good tunes some great Mm. lyrics and Mm. and very much storytelling lyrics a lot of those songs and we do thank not just Moff, but also the externals for the use of their music. They've been very generous, as have other artists. And if you are interested in showcasing some of your music, just email us at debrief at unforgiving60.com. Mm. 
Should we be charging them commission? <laughs> I don't know. We must be driving. I don't know whether we're thousands of buying or selling in that respect. <laughs> Probably neither. <laughs> Probably neither. But we're we're very thankful because it's it's rocking music. Let's listen to a little clip from it now. Here's some externals. So to listener feedback and questions, we love receiving your feedback and we endeavour to get to as many of the emails as we can. Um, you can, of course, uh, get in touch with us um, by emailing debrief at unforgiving60.com. That's debrief at unforgiving60.com. And Nick has done just that, um, expressing his thanks for the podcast, guys, uh, and letting us know that he's moving into a, a subunit command position in 2021. So this year, Nick will be heading into to command a, a company-sized group. So it's about mm. 100 people in the mm. Australian Army. And... I reckon that's an amazing time. It's no longer that sort of real intimate sort of, you know, uh, relationship that you had in a 30-person platoon. Um, But by that same token, you're now starting to have a little bit of influence up and out and you're starting to sort of get a bit more strategic in in the things that you're thinking about. It's a a really cool uh, leadership challenge and and we wish Nick all the best in that. How old were you when you led a subunit, a company or a squadron of around about 100 people? I would have been early to mid-30s. How old were you? Late bloomer. 31. Really? I was very fortunate I, I got that commander you company. You had excellent, <laughs> excellent platoon uh, troop commanders. Uh, before you, actually. I had excellent platoon commanders before you because yep. I raised the East Coast CT capability yeah, and yeah. was the company commander there. So I got a double bite in subunit command. They call that a retest. <laughs> <laughs> but 31. And actually, when you think about that, seems very young to, <laughs> to have the responsibility of a hundred souls. Mm, mm. Yeah, no, you you certainly were a boyish 31, as I recall. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, a, a fantastic. I'm, I get excited and, and we love, uh, we, we truly love getting feedback and, and people like Nick saying that, um, that they are getting something. Nick refers to a lot of fantastic leadership nuggets, um, which is just awesome. And, and uh, yeah, we, we really love hearing that that um, some of uh, what we babble on about resonates and and maybe helps people in these kind of journeys. Email from David. Uh, Just a quick note of thanks for the podcast. I live in Melbourne, so going through the lockdown was made easier by doing a daily walk and listening to past episodes. He came onto the podcast via The Age podcast about the Pongsu. Cool. Richard Baker's fantastic work. Award-winning, I think. He won another award. I always feel a bit cringy that if someone's listened to Richard Baker's outstanding series and then 
thinks, oh, I'll listen to this. It must just feel like amateur hour for them. Yeah, I mean, we applied for the Australian Podcast Awards and <laughs> I don't know. We couldn't even serve drinks at that thing. <laughs> I was doing dishes. What, what, and we, we did talk about this, actually. One of the things... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was going to say one of the things that Richard does well is is integrate sound effects into his podcast. I I also think he does research <laughs> and prepares, and, and like I think he's actually a, a real storyline. He's got a storyline, and he's actually a good journalist. Um, but apart from that, I think it's the sound. <laughs> I think it's a sound effects. <laughs> yeah, too. so we we might have to. Um, but I, I do remember listening to um, that outstanding last voyage of the Pong Su, and at one point he's talking about. Um, people meeting at a barbecue and he had the sizzling sausages in the mm. background and, and you could almost smell the, the snags. I thought, that's that's pretty cool. That really brings you there and we, we do not do that. <laughs> no, I think we tried. <laughs> oh, you did a howling wind <laughs> or something at one point. There's some wind. Yeah. There's some wind in the Heard Island episode. Yep, yep, which probably just sounded like listener, uh, like a room feedback or <laughs> yeah, well, truck, sound truck engineer. engineer. <laughs> he raised, he's very polite. I say looking towards <laughs> him, <laughs> he raised a very quizzical eyebrow about the insertion yeah. of the howling wind. We, we might leave that to the professionals. But no, thank you for that feedback and, and we're glad that that helped you get through the, the long winter of lockdown. Come on. We've also received some great mail from Adam. Adam is a, we describes himself as a Navy gent, and uh, he's trying out for a course that is close to our hearts this year. So um, we can only imagine he's he's probably full on into physical and mental preparation. Um, but but asked some really great questions on uh, military planning, and in particular, a really interesting question I, I thought about this idea of logic and process. So you know. In terms of military planning, you know, there is a lot of structured process and, mm. and he's asked, um, does logic often defy process in terms of goal attainment, i.e., you know, can, um, you know, just by churning the handle on the process, can mm. you, you sort of does it spit avoid the just the, the intuition? And I think it's a great question about that balance of, you know, that gut feel, that experiential sort of um, intuition mm. uh, versus actually going through the mechanics of of doing a planning iteration, and and of course, and and as I, I responded to Adam, um, my view is that it's they're not mutually exclusive, and mm. I think a lot of people do think that well, if we're going to plan properly, then we can't just go on our gut feel, but that gut feel comes from somewhere, and you read Gary Klein's Sources of Power or Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow, they all talk about that combination of experiential, subconscious, thinking fast, sort of, you know, intuition-based decision-making and then the more uh, procedural um, sort of uh, version of it. And, you know, of course, the art is in marrying the two. You can make any problem fit the solution you've already got in your head. Mm. Um, I mean, we recently ran a a workshop for an urban search and rescue task force where they didn't just want to understand how do we lead through complex environments and what are the drivers to stress and how do we overcome that by being more resilient. They also wanted to know how do we conduct a baseline appreciation? And this is a baseline appreciation when they're 
in their vehicles driving to a site where a whole stadium's collapsed, mm. you know, where they're formulating a plan. And it can be done there. And you remember in our years in, um, you know, counterterrorism and special recovery, we used to do that. We'd come up with courses of action, we'd rigorously test them, but it wouldn't be the plan that any one person has in their head. Mm. We'd um, we'd identify you know, what are the broad options and what are the benefits of those options. And in the same way, the Urban Search and Rescue Task Force can be doing that in the car. What do we know about the problem? What are the possible options? Right down to the subtactical. Where are we going to park our cars? Where are we going to set up an incident command post? How are we going to deploy the meagre number of assets that we have in order to get the best possible value? What don't we have that we need to call upon and who else needs to know about this problem? Mm. Yeah. And this is where I think the process is really important, that no matter how abbreviated the time frame, if you've got that structure, um, it helps uh, buttress your thinking. It, it helps provide a framework um, that you can abbreviate, and the, the more familiar you are with the process, you, you can abbreviate it much better. But it still helps just act as that memory jogger for those little things that you might forget when you're, you're facing a really pressing or urgent planning task. And so there is definitely a place for process, but by that same token, you can't just turn the handle on a process and expect to get a good answer. You need to insert your experience, your intuition, and do a bit of thinking along the way. So it was a great question. Our recommended reading list was short, according to Bill. There's a few books that we should have included. Mm -hmm. And he suggested, well, firstly, he suggested he dropped Clausewitz at page 500. (laughs) No no one has actually read (laughs) all of On War. No. Um, But he has picked up Bloodlands, but says that's not a book that's easy to read. On Tyranny, he recommends, and of course, Catch-22. Catch-22 is a must-read for, for anyone. I think in any bureaucracy, but particularly the military, um, mm. Joseph Heller's work, yeah, it resonates very well. I read that years ago. It's probably worth a reread. Did, did you watch, there was a, didn't George Clooney do a Netflix thing? Wasn't there a, again, <laughs> fantastic <laughs> research. <laughs> I think there's a TV show. Um, and Coxie has polled in on the the um, the book reading list. Um, Coxie's a... Uh, a very um, frequent sort of contributor. We, we love our dialogue with Coxie. He's, he's written in a couple of times. And he's um, recommended the Brothers and Books Instagram page. And yeah. we did have a look at that. That's and, good. Yeah, Dylan, who runs that, does. He's killing it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that Instagram page is all about someone, anyone, writing a review on a book that they think is fantastic. And Dylan posts, posts it to the page. It's mm. very cool. But a, a couple that, that he's recommended on the back of that, um, Consilience, Edward Wilson, Zero to One by Peter Thiel. Never heard of it. Never and, heard of it. And Just Breathe by Dan Brule. I think you've been annoying me about the last one, haven't you? No. Well, no, there's a number of breathing books. The one that I read was by a guy called James Nestor, mm. uh, just called Breath, which mm. was excellent. And I will continue to annoy that about you. Annoy you about it. Um, but uh, Coxie also says the one I think you'd both enjoy even more is High Altitude Leadership by Chris Warner. We got some reading to do. Yeah, I'm I'm really I'm about eight books deep on my bedside table at the moment after the holiday period and people handing me books. In fact, um you ever seen the show Entourage? Uh <laughs> I'm aware of the show. I've n- I never really watched it. All right. So in Entourage, there's the agent Ari Gold, and Ari Gold wrote an Ari Gold book. Jeremy Piven yep. plays Ari Gold. And it appeared in my letterbox. Don't know who put it there, but 
unwrapped, just bang, in the letterbox. And, and I did like Entourage, so yeah, yeah. that's at the top of my pile on my next to read after I get through Carlos Castaneda. Is that called Pure Gold or something? I think my yeah. brother Dan read it. Yeah, 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 it seems quite funny. Solid gold, pure gold, Ari gold. Well, the, and to, to round out our book recommendations, Cal, who um, we owe an enormous debt of gratitude. Cal was the person who introduced us or recommended we get in touch with Dave Olney. Um, Cal was one of Dave's students um, over there in Adelaide. Uh, and he was wondering if we'd come across Eric Greitens' book catalogue, Eric Greitens' book catalogue, and in particular, a book called Resilience. Cal, I can assure you that we haven't. Another <laughs> another recommendation. <laughs> um, yeah, we're we're showing our, our true colours is uh, not very well read. I don't think. Well, staying on the topic of resilience, so Steve, who's a superintendent mechanical engineering at mm. uh, one of the mining companies, asked the question about how do you teach, instill, or improve resilience in your children? Question one, and how do you rebuild resilience after someone has used up their reserves? Do you think that resilience varies by age? Is it one of those CrossFit things that the functional movement doesn't vary from 15 to Yeah, like differs by degree, not kind. Yeah. Um, look, I do. And I think that um, I think that I personally do a very poor job of instilling resilience in our kids. And I think this is probably not unique to me that we tend to do a lot for our kids that mm. maybe previous generations didn't do. Um, and that probably doesn't doesn't help a lot, but I certainly think um, the the awareness and and something for me it's a cliche, but the the every kid gets a medal, every kid gets a trophy. You know that inability to ever or or the the desire to shield your kids from failure at all costs uh, is extremely detrimental to to resilience because at some point the the bubble's got to burst. We've got to live in the real world, and um, not every child gets a a ribbon in the real world. No, that's true. And mm. what about using up your reserves? Is there such a thing? Yeah, I reckon there's some of resilience? fantastic analogies about buckets with holes in them or buckets that keep getting filled and that you've got to drain. I do, I like that analogy in the, the sense that it captures the idea of this being a finite thing, mm. that you can deal with a lot of stuff and it can be a straw that breaks the camel's back at a, a certain point in time. But I also um, sort of like the, these ideas where you can either drain or refill your bucket, depending on which analogy you're going with, mm. but, but you can kind of recharge and you can build up the reserves. Um, and I, I do think we are both converts to things like meditation and mindfulness, uh, things like um, uh, reflecting on activities um, and seeking to get the, the positives out of them. Wayne Jones spoke about that idea of closure after a traumatic event, um, but the ability to kind of drain that bucket um, of stress by looking at this thing as a learning. And and I think, um, I think I've waxed lyrical about uh, my personal sort of uh, discovery of a growth mindset and, and how profound that was for me. But the ability to reframe challenges as opportunities to learn, um, including retrospectively after traumatic events, I can I think can be a really good way of, of kind of uh, rebuilding resilience. And there's age thinking about this. And, you know, we've talked about a set of scales with stress on one side and resilience on the other. And the old thinking, Ben, was that you waited for a profound mm -hmm. stress event, acute plus chronic, and then you tried to do some resilience thing. But that's 
that's antiquated thinking. Yeah, it is. And I think we're seeing so much discussion on resilience because of exactly that, that traditionally you didn't even bother thinking about this until the wheels fell off. And that would happen at different points in different times after different events or after different accumulations of chronic stress for different people. Um, whereas we can do better than that. And that was a massive part of uh, for for us the the drive to write the book uh, about look let's get left of boom left of incident and let's look at the ways that we can increase our resilience so we don't have to um, do do post stress event interventions we we can ideally avoid a stress event at all at, uh, at all we can gain it and we can drain it right mm. so therefore we need to be productively working on becoming more resilient and we'll talk in due course in season three actually about yeah. our model for resilience and how that can help but perhaps a little shout out whilst we're talking resilience about the resilience survey yeah so as part of our research um we were um fortunate enough to to be awarded a federal government entrepreneurs grant um which has uh, helped us develop a body of research in conjunction with the university of western australia on our resilience model um, with the, the aim to, to validating it and to refining it, to, to improving our understanding of the correlation between various components of resilience and your, your overall resilience. And so the resilience survey is a really important part of that. It's offered free of charge. Um, it not only helps build our database and our understanding of how the various components of resilience interact, um, but it also uh, provides the participant with feedback on areas of relative strength and weakness, um, and I think we've all got them. I certainly know my social layer mm. could do a bit of work. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's um, designed to be uh, immediately useful in terms of a feedback tool. And, and it's not just a, a series of random questions that we've made up because it fits our diatribe on resilience? Yeah, no, that was important for us when we were designing the survey, wasn't it? To we, We've uh, aggregated a number of existing peer-reviewed screens that look at um, what our, our model says are the, the various uh, constituent chunks of, of resilience. And so, um, yeah, we're, we're more than comfortable that, that these things are proven to, to measure and provide a, a good um, peer-reviewed sort of um, uh, feedback on that particular metric, and yeah, we're bringing them together in the survey. Yeah, and we've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds do the surveys so far, yeah. which is generating some in- interesting information that um, Dr. Lise Notabart is analysing to try and work out what makes a person more resilient. Yeah. And particularly in the demographic contrast, is a city person more resilient than a country person? Is there any contrast to be made there? And um, yeah, yeah, between sl- genders and all these sorts right. of things. And, and this is the ultimate goal. I mean, once we get a sufficient data set, um, particularly with those different demographic characteristics, our hope is that we can uh, do some predictive modelling that, you know, we, we have enough data to, to sort of say, look, if you're a 34-year-old female, you know, on, on um, a, a property in the middle of Australia, these are the kind of things you need to look out for versus a, a 20-year-old male in, in uh, Western Sydney, whatever it might be. So, yeah, pretty excited by the prospect that, that this offers for, I guess, our, our general understanding of how resilience works and, importantly, how we can improve it. And you can get your general resilience score just by doing the survey. The link is in the bio at Unforgiving60 on Instagram. And we'll chuck it in the show notes to this RV. Absolutely. And so more fantastic listener feedback. And this one actually got me thinking, Tim, 
Could you imagine that anyone in their right mind would voluntarily want to put a backpack on and go walking up hills? Not unless you're training for selection. I'm not doing that stuff. No. Well, I feel Hayes Sinclair. G'day, Phil. Yeah. He runs with a weight vest. He's pretty hardcore. He's very hardcore. <laughs> Former professional triathlete, wasn't he, Phil? Very fit guy. Yeah. But yeah, um, the idea of putting a backpack on loaded with weights and walking around as a form of recreation, unless you're training for something. Well, no, mm. apparently it's a thing. So um, Mick has written into us, and, and we've had a, a good little convo via email with Mick um, about the Aussie Rucking Club, which is mm. a, a, a subsidiary of um, Go Ruck which mm-hmm. is a concept developed by a former US service guy, um, which essentially the basic rules are you got to... And sorry, let me put some lexicon in here. Rucking uh, mm-hmm. in the, the US parlance your, is pack your marching. Your rucksack. Your rucksack. Put your rucksack on your back and, and go for a walk. And um, this is actually starting to get some traction. People are doing this for fun. Um, and in fairness, although... I don't think I'll ever put it back on again for fun. Uh, there is something about being self-sufficient, carrying everything you need, and clearly getting in touch with nature, getting off the beaten track. That mm. uh, uh, sort of is, is part of why that Go Ruck um, has been so popular around the world. Basic rules, minimum ruck distance, 1.5 miles. Mm-hmm. What's that in metric? Uh, I don't know, multiplied by 1.6. 2.4 Ks. Um, ruck pack. Ruck pace, about 20 minutes per mile, and minimum ruck weight is 10 pounds, or about 5 kilos. Five kilos. Okay. So we're not, we're not talking super, super huge weights, although I'm sure you could put some... Can you carry 5 kilos on your front? Well, you're carrying <laughs> 5 on kilos the on the man. <laughs> Inside the man. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it actually is a, a really cool initiative, and, and Mick's um, uh, raised a local chapter called the Aussie Rucking Club. We're going to put some sh- uh, links in the show notes to his Instagram and some of his socials. But, um, yeah, it's excellent hearing a bit more about this and good on you, Mick, for, for starting this and, and being the driving force behind it. Started by a US Special Forces Green Beret, I think, from memory. Yep. Uh, started in the States by a, a former Green Beret and, and Mick um, has, has gathered around him some, some pretty impressive individuals, uh, not only from military backgrounds, but also uh, civilian and policing. Uh, Mick himself has a, a really impressive background in uh, Australian policing and particularly tactical side of things and is doing good things with the Aussie Rucking Club. So, yeah, thank you, Mick, for, for getting in touch and a uh, shout-out to all the Aussie Rucking Club members. A bit like Melina Molino, just get out there on a trail, do it with a small group of people, enjoy yourself. Have you got out there on a trail? Do you have to cam up? Do you have to apply camouflage cream? No. And scan your arcs? I'd be, well, I don't know. I don't know. Are you allowed to walk on tracks? <laughs> I assume, yes. I'm definitely not going if you have to walk on tracks. But Mick did assure us that the packs these days are far better than the old um, back-breaking issue Alice packs. Auspack 1. Auspack 1. I mean, I wonder how many back claims are in the Department of Veterans Affairs. Wasn't there a perfect storm between Auspack 1 and that first tranche of Taipan boots? (laughs) They they got you coming and going. If they weren't getting you with the back, they're getting you with the ankles and knees. Mick, I don't think we're doing much for your recruiting with with Aussie Ruck Club, but um, well, no, we're just not advocating you wear an Auspac one and, and you know, early boot. form, yeah, GP boot, general purpose boots. Yeah. But like I said, we'll chuck the the link in the show notes, and we do encourage people to have a look at that if pack marching sounds like fun, hmm. and it does sound like fun. Open brackets until you do it. Close brackets. <laughs> <laughs> 
another bit of feedback from Doug, who's a workshop supervisor, saying he really enjoyed our episodes 29 and 30, which were? Good. That's right. Doug thinks that was very specific. It's Wayne Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Do you reckon Doug didn't like the other episode? (laughs) Do not fact check. I think it's I think it's Wayne Jones. It is. And and Doug mentioned that that he actually knows Wayne and and in fact shares a a really interesting story about first meeting Wayne when uh, he, when Doug was was playing enemy for um, an army exercise out on Rotnest Island. And uh, he quotes, a knee on the back and cable ties, you know the drill. <laughs> I <laughs> so don't know the drill. Very well, you shouldn't have got captured. Should, yeah, yeah. Although he was probably explicitly ordered to get captured as part of the enemy party. Doug also says that our podcast is interesting and funny in that Aussie way that other podcasts, especially American ones, are not. I don't know. There's some American podcasts that I think is quite good. There's some great stuff out there. Yeah. Yeah. But we Doug, we really appreciate um the, the feedback. That's awesome. And, and we're stoked that you you enjoyed that episode with Wayne. Because, um, yeah, that was a, a particular favourite for both of us. Yeah, uh, catching up with Wayne. Super happy that one. Mm. Right. Well, that might do. R V twenty four. And that would end season two of the Unforgiving Sixty podcast. Yes. Aren't you supposed to do a season wrap? Season debrief on my performance? Oh, yeah, that's a that's a good idea. It hasn't Flawless. been bad this year. Better. Yeah. No, yeah. you've been you've improved. You were at the start of season one a reluctant co-host, a reluctant mm. participant. Mm. But I think you've warmed up to the idea. Yeah. And along with that, if you like something, generally you'll put more effort into it. You've do, done that. Do you think I've put showing improvement? In effort and uh, no achievement is consistent. Effort, mild improvement. So overall, I'd rate you higher than season one. Not huh. bad. Fight to get. Well, mate. Unfortunately, I just don't have anyone else. Happy to have. <laughs> just prefer what's to the most? category before. Happy to ha- uh, sorry below. Happy to have in the old military grading system. There was fight to get was the top one. Yeah, prefer to most. Prefer to most. Not sure who the most were because that was not bell curved. Yeah. Then there was happy to have. Happy to have. Take a chance. Take a chance. And the bottom, the bottom ranking, not want. Not want. Imagine walking in and getting your your. You know, performance appraisal Especially report. if you've still got a couple of years with the boss. Like you <laughs> yeah. just know that he does not want or she does not want you. Enthusiastically walking into the office, excited, you know, those butterflies you get on appraisal day. Mm. And, and, then, and the first thing you do, you would... don't read the preamble. You just go straight to the back page and look yep. at what your ranking is. Yeah, not and want. And you see the not want. That would be better for me than Take a Chance because if I got Take a Chance, I would have that ABBA song in my head for the rest of the, you know, that Take a Chance, 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 if you change your mind. Oh, now I've got it in my head regardless. rap um, well, look, we're going to sign out. We're, we've obviously hit rock bottom for the season. Yes. Um, but thank you very much. We really appreciate your listenership. We hope that you've got something out of uh, the, the season and the podcast, and particularly this year, which has been quite testing for a whole bunch of resilience and leadership and personal growth sort of aspects. We've certainly learned a lot through this, and we hope that some of that has, has been of interest and maybe even helped uh, you through 2020. And we look forward to continuing to, to, to produce podcasts into 2021. 
looking forward to season three. And thank you for listening to the Unforgiving 60 podcast. See you next season. Cheers. Now to the debrief. We strive for continuous improvement and greatly appreciate your insights and feedback. Also, if you know someone who is living that life less ordinary, please tell us. You can get in touch at debrief at unforgiving60.com. That's debrief at unforgiving60.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and write a review for us on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow and engage with us on social media. Just search for Unforgiving 60 on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Until next episode, keep filling your unforgiving minutes with 60 seconds worth of distance run. See you next time on the Unforgiving 60. Stop!